I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. And I'm Dale Denwalt. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. It's been five months since a detention officer was taken hostage in Oklahoma County's jail, an incident that left one inmate dead and raised serious questions about the safety of those inside. Investigative reporter Nolan Clay wrote a three-part series this week based on hundreds of pages of documents, offering the clearest glimpse yet into that harrowing day. But first, we have the latest on a state Supreme Court ruling affecting unemployment benefits for Oklahomans. Our first set of questions is for my co-host Dale here, who's been following a lawsuit against the state of Oklahoma, alleging Governor Kevin Stitt didn't have the authority to cancel federal unemployment benefits early for people who lost work in the pandemic. That lawsuit made it all the way to the state Supreme Court, who came back with a ruling on Tuesday. Dale, what did the court decide? Right now, there is no ultimate decision about whether these unemployment benefits should be reinstated. Uh, in fact, it's, it's kind of confusing. You have to know a little bit about the law and maybe talk to a lawyer um, and certainly talk with the state to get their opinion of what happened. But uh, I can say that ultimately, right now, the status of those federal pandemic supplemental benefits like FPUC, PUA, those right now are still terminated by the state of Oklahoma. Uh, if you remember uh, a week or two ago, a district court here in Oklahoma County Uh, the judge ruled that the state must start those benefits again um, until the final issue is decided. Um, The issue at hand is whether Governor Stitt had the authority himself to terminate these uh, federal benefit programs here on the state level. And the local judge here in Oklahoma County said that until we decide whether the governor uh, had that authority, we have to start offering these benefits again. And the state said, hold on, we're going to take this question to the state Supreme Court. There's already a case there, a similar case, and we'd like this to be decided ultimately by the state Supreme Court. And so the Supreme Court said this week, uh, we agree to hear that case. The judges order that the benefits should be reinstated. We're going to hold off on that. We're not going to do that. Uh, So... Right now, we're looking at uh, less than a month, really, before these benefits expire on the federal level. Um, And we're also waiting for the state Supreme Court to say whether uh, the governor acted inappropriately. Right. The the governor pulled Oklahoma out, for for lack of a better term. He pulled Oklahoma out of these federal uh, unemployment benefits back in June. Federal benefits will end on June 26th. That gives people six weeks to get off the sidelines and get back into the game. Those benefits would have expired in September. So you had about three a three-month window where people could have been collecting those unemployment benefits, but if the governor had not ended those early. Um, and attorneys representing the state said it's not as easy as flipping a switch and bringing those benefits back. So why did they say a, a hold on that lower court's decision was necessary? Well, it's uh, they had already notified the federal government that they were withdrawing from those programs, um, which was the state's right. Every state, uh, you know, has the authority by the Department of Labor to 
withdraw and stop offering these programs. The, the issue is how Oklahoma did it, kind of a technicality, if you will. And the, the state has said, listen, th- these are huge programs, lots of money, um, and it takes a lot to administer. Uh, the, an attorney for the state said that, you know, we'll have to hire 100 temporary workers just to get this done uh, for the next month. Uh, there are a lot of back-end pro- uh, processes at the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission that uh, would have to be turned back on, basically. And uh, ultimately, you know, they, the state said the money may not be there, um, especially if uh, they were to, to get this thing going uh, after September 6th. Um, the, the federal money just probably wouldn't be available. Gotcha. So what does the court still have to decide on? Basically, what comes next after this? Right. So what comes next is probably some more uh, oral arguments at the Supreme Court. At the very least, uh, um, maybe a couple more filings. But uh, the next thing that we're looking for is something from the state Supreme Court that says whether the governor uh, inappropriately terminated these benefits. And if the court says that the, the governor acted inappropriately, then the court would also have to decide, you know, do we go retroactive? Uh, do we, how quickly must this go into effect? And if the court says, well, no, the governor acted appropriately, then that's the end of the road. In the meantime, while all of this is being sorted out, an attorney representing the, the Oklahomans who sued people who, who said they, they believe they were still entitled to those unemployment benefits, uh, their attorney said they're still being harmed. These people are still being wronged by not receiving uh, this money. So what impact did he say this was having on them? He talked about the people who literally can't find a job. So either they live in a place where there are very few jobs available, or maybe they're caring for um, a family member, or maybe they are so immunocompromised that they face death or serious injury if they go out in public. And, you know, these are the Oklahomans that he's worried about. Um, and there's also a question of whether there is, you know, an actual uh, workforce problem in Oklahoma. Um, that's one of the reasons why these benefits were terminated uh, is because the, there's supposedly a huge labor shortage in Oklahoma. And the governor's thinking was that if you take away the carrot of unemployment benefits, then people would have no choice but to go back into the workforce. Our challenge is not to get businesses back open. We've done that. It's been getting employees back to work. Without a doubt, One of the factors causing this has been the continued extension of extra federal benefits. And so there are, I think the estimate was about 90,000 people were receiving these federal benefits when they ended on uh, June 27th. I don't know that number now. It'd be really hard to calculate because no one's been filing for unemployment uh, for these specific programs. But... You know, it's probably still a lot of people who are out there who uh, can't find a job or can't find a job that they're qualified for. 
All right. Well, Dale, thanks so much for following this this really complicated saga of, of what's going to become of, of this unemployment money. And, and thanks for giving us an update today. We're sitting with investigative reporter Nolan Clay, who has been covering the situation at Oklahoma County's jail. This week, Nolan, you published a series of stories that gives an insider's look at how detention officer Daniel Misquez found himself disarmed, held hostage, and on his knees with a shank pressed against his neck. Nolan, your three-part series, what documents have you seen, and was there anything that surprised you? Well, I uh, was able to get uh, a look at uh, the uh, police investigation, the reports and videos, and of course they released some of it, but I was able to get a inside look, and uh, I was surprised uh, about how uh, uh, little we uh, had known about it, despite them having a news conference. There was a uh, jail captain who was very brave, who offered to give herself up, was you know begging them, basically, take me, let my guy go, take me. She said it several times. Uh, you know, the, the fact that the inmate uh, who uh, was eventually shot, who was instigated the thing, had... Uh, uh, meth was uh, in a system at a level that was indicative of recent use and maybe re- repetitive recent use was was somewhat shocking. It was also, you know, we, we say uh, the, the guard was a senior detention officer, technically. He was 22. He'd worked there a, a year and a, and a half, so he was 19, 20, and he's dealing with these guys who have been... Uh, in and out of institutions and prisons, and, uh, you know, this inmate tricked him, said, uh, and they had kind of had a friendly relationship in the past. Now, this, the inmate uh, had been in there for almost two years, and so they had talked before, and uh, the inmate said, hey, man, I'd like to get some of this trash out of here, and so the uh the detention officer opened the cell door in violation of, of instructions. He wasn't supposed to do that, but he did, trusting the guy, and the guy comes out with a shank. And the guy that, you know, how a how an inmate gets a shank in the most restrictive unit of the jail, the one that has the worst of the worst, is beyond me. But he wasn't the only one who had shanks. Shank is a makeshift knife. I mean, a bunch of them did, and uh, they all they all got out, and it was a chaotic situation. Uh, so, short answer to your question is, I was amazed uh, how 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 chaotic and how how much more dangerous it almost it almost was. I mean, we were uh, lucky in a lot of ways that police were able to contain it. Uh, tragically, an inmate lost his life. The uh, the guard uh, never came back to work. Nolan, you reported the jail had 1,615 inmates when the hostage incident happened on March 27th. How many guards showed up for work that day? Well, and, and, and you've got to be, uh, there's an asterisk to this. There were there were a number of people at the at the uh, at the jail that day, but as my story said, uh, there was the shift commander told police that there were seven uh, showed up to do the inmate floors. 
Now, there may have been some others in booking and some others monitoring the uh, the cameras. She didn't really break it down, but except for this, she said she thinks there were seven that were there on the inmate floors. And there's uh, it's a 13-floor facility. Uh, there's not inmates on every floor, uh, and that wasn't counting the first floor, which is where booking and, and initial holding is. But uh, you know, that's 1,615 inmates with seven. And, and again, she wasn't clear if that included herself. Uh, I believe, from what I could tell from the records, it was seven besides herself. But she was a shift commander, so the, this uh, guard who got taken hostage normally would es be escorting nurses on their rounds and instead he was doing duties roving on four and and got had to help somebody else up on ten and ten was the most dangerous floor and uh, and uh, it got out of hand pretty quickly. Staffing levels were low at the jail in March. Have they improved at all? Well they kept saying hey we're gonna go up to, we're gonna they made a big big pitch about Staffing is low. They even brought in corrections officers for the from the Department of Corrections to help out for a week, uh, uh, which is clearly indicative of how bad it is. And they kept saying, "We're going to get to 400. We're going to get to 400." And uh, you know, more than four months later, now they're uh, you know they're about up four. They were actually at the start of the month. They were actually down from how many employees they had. Uh, uh, at the time of the news conference where they were griping about s staff shortage. The news conference was just a couple of the, two or three days after the, uh, I guess four days after the situation. So the, you know, the bottom line is no, staffing hasn't improved. They talk about how they recruit and recruit and recruit and recruit and recruit and they can't get anybody who wants to work at the jail. And uh, it's a bad situation. Nolan, the hostage situation began, um, as you described earlier, by what seemed like a, a failure to follow protocol. Um, how was the inmate, Curtis Williams, able to get out of his cell and assault Officer Misquez? The guard was uh, picking up food trays, and the inmates are supposed to put the food trays out through this slot in the door called a bean hole, of all things, uh, that's at the bottom of the door. And uh, this inmate said, hey, I got a bunch of trash in here. Can I get it out too? And the guard kind of looks in and sees that there's too much trash to stick through the bean hole. So he opens the door uh, a little bit, he says. Uh, uh, cracked it open so that the guy could, you know, kick out the trash. Well, instead, the guy jumps out. He's got a shank. He's bigger than the detention officer. And the detention officer gives him his keys, and uh, you know this detention officer is not armed. I mean, he doesn't have a a gun on him, and he's on the second level, and he can't really get down to the first level or get out through the sliding doors. He's kind of trapped, and it just goes and and the the inmate gets his pepper spray and and sprays him in the face and handcuffs him, and it just is a bad situation. And uh, I believe uh, the the officer and the inmate did have kind of a, a prior relationship. They knew each other. They obviously uh, Williams had been in the jail for a couple of years, and uh, Misquez uh, had 
been an officer there at the same time, and um, they had kind of a rapport, right? They did. I mean, the uh, the officer talked about that, how the guy had even said, you know, somebody gives you a hard time, you just let me know, and I'll tell them to lay off you, I'll have your back. And so he, he kind of knew the guy and just, uh, you know, that familiarity, and, and he just... Uh, he just made a mistake. So, and, and the timeline you published seems to indicate the the jail staff hesitated to call nine one one. Obviously, when when um, Curtis Williams first broke out of his cell, um, Officer Misquez radioed you know that he needed help, and so they instantly knew that something was going wrong and that the situation was very quickly spiraling out of control. And the police first learned about the situation from. Misquez's cousin, who was watching a live Facebook video taken by the inmates who had uh, Officer Misquez's phone. Was there a communication breakdown that caused Oklahoma City police to find out about this first from a civilian instead of from the staff in the jail? Well, I mean, it was a serious situation that they tried to defuse themselves and quickly realized that they couldn't. I don't know. Maybe they've defused a dozen other situations like that in the past. But, I mean, uh, it's always good, it's always easy to, uh, you know, be a, a second-day quarterback or armchair quarterback, but it seems to me like the wiser course would have been to call for help uh, right away and because uh, they obviously needed it. Because once all the inmates got let loose, I mean, it was really bad. You know, the sheriff's office, uh, and when, it, when they ran the jail, they had a uh, emergency response team. The trust uh, did not, and they had to rely on the police. And the police really—I uh, mean, there was some confusion about the authority because uh, the trust is kind of a, a hired body. And the sheriff captain who showed up says, "I've got the authority of the sheriff. I'm going to go in there." Uh, police officers, can you uh, help us if we get in trouble? And the police, and then it, and it was a cooperation, but there was, it was an, uh, a terrible situation. Let me say this too. You know, one thing that's always disappointing to me is that nobody seems to care about the jail. And I write all these stories, and nothing really ever happens. People go, oh my. But these people who are in there, are innocent until proven guilty. It's basically a, a waiting area until they're they're tried. And the other thing is that a lot of us have kids, and our kids are just a half a drink away too many from being in that jail overnight, or a misunderstanding and a with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. We we could all end up in the jail. Thank God I've never been, ended up there with handcuffs on. But, uh, I mean, we should be more concerned about it than we are. And we saw how disastrous this this passage of time between, you know, the the first uh, report by Officer Misquez that something's going wrong until when OCPD finally sends a team in to extract him. Um, Nolan, please let us know how much time had, had, had passed there. But in that passage of time, 
they took Officer Mesquez's keys and started opening other cell doors, and it became very quickly a a chaotic situation that became increasingly dangerous for for this officer. Um, It it just seems like that was a really critical period of time when they were trying to sort it out and realize very quickly that they couldn't. Well, it was an an hour's worth total from an hour and about a minute from the time that uh, uh, he was taken hostage until the police... uh, ended it with a gunshot to the inmate's uh, head, and, and the inmate eventually died of that. Uh, and they, the guard rolled down the stairs, and they were able to pull him out. But in that time, he was stabbed three times. And he was lucky because uh, he had stuff in his pocket. And, I mean, if he'd hit an, if the, uh, the inmate, and it wasn't the one who took him hostage, but it was a different inmate, had hit an artery or something, the... It would have been a lot worse. So it's uh, it's a fascinating read. If you want to read it, it's still online. Now, I think there are still lingering questions about the jail trust's ability to administer the jail. Uh, you mentioned that there was confusion about who had authority to let the police in and the sher- and sheriff's department in. And you mentioned that the uh, response team um, was disbanded. Um, from my own reporting, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's pretty common that a large jail or prison has a, uh, a specialized group who who practice for situations like this, have proper equipment and firearms inside the jail ready to go if there's a riot or a hostage situation or something else where they're where they might be needed. Um, All of this, even the delay in reporting, the ongoing issues with the the conditions that the inmates face, um, where is the jail trust at now in in regards to its, um, I don't want to say legitimacy, but do do officials at the county level respect the the trust's ability to manage that building? Well, the county commissioners uh, so far are sticking with the trust. Uh, it's kind of uh, an idea of uh, we've got to give them a chance. Uh, they haven't had long enough to uh, to uh, to to make the fixes that need to be. Uh, but you know, the general public is pretty fed up, and uh, and there's talk about a new jail, and then some people are saying, well, a new jail won't fix uh, won't won't fix everything because unless you have staffing that can take care of the inmates, it's just a, it's a big mess. And the part of the trust problem is, uh, that, uh, is an expectation one. And, and some of that is, is, is their fault because, you know, the, the whole idea of a trust was pitched like the sheriff he's, he's divided. And, uh, if we have a trust in charge, uh, things will get better, and things will get better right away. And instead, uh, by a lot of uh, uh, measures, uh, it's gotten worse. They didn't have an escape using sheets uh, for ye- for uh, years, decades. They haven't had a guy just walking out, and they haven't had somebody, a guard, taken hostage and an inmate uh, being shot dead ever. So by those measures, things have gotten worse. And 
people are fed up, and I, I, I think the Justice Department uh, may come come in at some point, and then uh, we'll really have a mess on our hands, and we'll probably be coming out of our pockets to uh, uh, fix conditions there pretty, pretty rapidly. Nolan, we thank you for coming in and talking about this fascinating three-part series. I also would encourage everyone to check this out. It, it really is a, a, a captivating narrative and, and what happened here in this hostage situation. Well, yeah, it's a subscriber only, but heck, it only costs a dollar for six months, so you don't subscribe. Shameless plug. I love it. Thanks for joining us this week. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahoman subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories and more every day in The Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.